Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. This morning we're going to look at Jesus, Peter, and a fire part one. Jesus, Peter, and a fire part one. Give you just a few more moments to, to get there. I'm going to read verses 15 through 27. A uh, instance of a failure of one of Christ's disciples that we're probably pretty familiar with, but we want to learn from this morning. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together, I've said nothing in secret. What, why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I, had, I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man who, whose ear Peter cut, had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. Um, Crystal and I, we enjoy movies. We're a little different though in the sense that I, you know, I'm, I'm all about the story and, and Crystal's about the story too, but it needs to have that happy ending. And so for that reason, we've, uh, we've really settled on superhero movies are kind of our thing. It's our date night. When one comes out, hey, we're going we're gonna to have a date night and go watch a superhero movie. But about a year and a half ago, we were watching this superhero movie, and at the end, the bad guy wins, and half of the good guys are wiped out. And I could sense the discomfort in my wife. I could tell she was... Not dealing with it well. And so I leaned over and I said, you realize this is a two-parter. That, that a year from now, another movie is going to come up that follows this one that continues the story. And you could just tell the relief. She wasn't excited about waiting a year for her happy ending, but she was at least 
satisfied that she would probably get her happy ending. Our sermon today is a sermon with a sequel. Today we have Jesus, Peter, and a fire part one. And it, spoiler alert, it does not go well for Peter. It is not Peter's finest moment. He's going to fail miserably around this fire. But rest easy, Peter gets a sequel. In fact, it will be the last sermon of, of, the, of John uh, that we will do at the very last Sunday of this year. We will have Peter, or Jesus, Peter, and the fire part two. So when we get there and you ask, well, when did we do part one? We did it today. So file that away and remember you heard the first part of Peter's story around the fire. But today it's Peter's failure. Peter's failure to live up to Christ as his example. And in his failure, we see his need for a redeemer. When we're tempted, okay, the main point this morning is, when we're tempted, we look to Christ as our example. And when we fail, we look to Christ as our Redeemer. In our text this morning, we have Peter before an intimidating crowd showing us what not to do. And then we have Christ who stands before an intimidating crowd showing us what to do. First thing I want us to notice is that Jesus was resolved, but Peter was fickle. Peter went from brash in the garden to, to timid in the courtyard. Last week we saw, as, as Donnie has already pointed out, we, man, we saw Peter who was not afraid. He was unafraid. Okay? And it was wrong. His brashness and his uh, failure to think through what he was doing was wrong, but at least he was courageous in his wrongness. At least he was willing to, with good intention, draw a sword and begin to hack away protecting his Lord. And, and the ramifications could have been huge. They could have cut him down then and there and been justified. They could have at the very least arrested him along with Jesus, but he didn't care. He did not care. He was going to stand with his Lord. He was ferocious and fearless in the garden against a strong force. But now, just moments later, he backs down to a non-threatening servant girl. If we know anything about Peter, we know his tendency to be overconfident in himself. And to run his mouth a little too much in his overconfidence. In fact, this is why Jesus, back in John 13, had predicted this very event, right? In, in John 13, 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Will you? Peter, will you? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter's expectations of himself oftentimes outran his actual actions. 
We can look down on Peter, but is anyone here really ready to say that their allegiance to Christ is as resolved as it should be? I confess to you that it's crazy how oftentimes I'm, I get things almost right one day, and then the next day I just absolutely blow it. One day I'm, I'm that guy in the, in the garden willing to stand with his Lord. And the next day I back down in the smallest sense of pressure. It's easy for us to, to see Peter's inconsistency here. I mean, if you look in your Bible right now, it's probably in bold letters, Peter denies Jesus. I mean, it's spelled out for us. This is a moment logged. Peter's failure is logged for throughout time right here in the Scriptures for us. But do you, do you so clearly see your inconsistencies? Do you so clearly see your tendency to stand one moment and fall the next? But we see in, in Christ a resolve. Jesus' question about the high priest, what what he points to is the consistency of his message. He says, look, I haven't said anything in private that I haven't said in the public. I've went out into the synagogues. I've went out where Jews gather. And, and my message has been consistent. And yeah, I've had my disciples, but I haven't taught them anything that I haven't said publicly to everybody else. And though he's, he's even struck in the face he doesn't react in rage or change his approach at all. He just, he just keeps speaking the truth. He just stays calm. He doesn't, he doesn't say more than he needs to and he doesn't say less than he needs to. While Peter's obedience to Christ goes back and forth from brash boldness and standing with Christ to a frail timidness, Jesus remains unmoved by man's schemes. We should seek to be like Christ here and not like Peter. Jesus shows us here what it looks like to be resolved and to, to make God known before men. Peter shows us how to be fickle. Don't live in a fickle fear of man. Live in a confidence, confident faithfulness in God. We also see here that Jesus was prepared, but Peter was panicked. Look at verse 17 and, and think about what the servant girl said. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of his, this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Peter is, is, is panicked here and, and uh we really look at the wording here, it's interesting because we have this other disciple that's not named, and, and a lot of people think this is probably John, uh, because John was a, from a relatively wealthy background, he probably would be the one most likely to have these connections, and we know that John, in, his, in this gospel that he's writing, he likes to, to, to just kind of leave himself unnamed, that's kind of his, his method of, 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 of operation here. And so John goes in, and, and what she says here, 
is that you're not his disciple also. So it seems like the servant girl is fully aware that this other guy is a disciple. And there's really nothing happening to him. He's actually been able to get inside and and stay close near to Jesus. It it appears, it seems, at least with this first denial, that there's no threat to Peter. It seems if he had said, yeah, I'm a disciple, they just would have shrugged it off. Just really wouldn't have cared that much. And yet in this weak threat, Peter chooses to deny his Lord. I think the only explanation here is panic. He, he was simply not ready for all that was going on. And it shows. One moment, he's ready to fight an army. The next moment, a servant girl gets him to back down in his discipleship. His lack of preparation is evident in his panic. And we know that, that Jesus warned his disciples and he told them to be prepared for what was coming. How did he tell them to be prepared? He told them, hey guys, you need to pray. You need to pray. This is what he says in Matthew 26, uh, verse 40, right shortly before the arrest. He says, and he came to the disciples and he, he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus has told Peter, I was, you guys need to pray because temptation is coming. And your spirit may be willing, but your flesh is weak. It's going to fail. And, and three times, instead of praying, they nap. No wonder Peter seems panicked and unprepared for the temptation that he's facing and he's failing because he's not prepared. We see Jesus is prepared. Jesus is standing before those in authority who can harm him and yet he remains calm, cool, and collected. Despite knowing all that was about to happen to him, with certain knowledge of what was about to happen, he remains at peace. No panic. Would it be crazy to to assume that the differences here are the fact that while Peter napped, Jesus was in the garden praying to his Father, asking for his Father's help? He prayed the high priestly prayer that we just studied in John 17. And then they, when they got to the garden, we know through the other Gospels that he spent this time in prayer. Matthew 26, 39, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Folks, Jesus' mission was sure, but it was never easy. He didn't make a beeline to the cross. He did not foolishly rush into the mission. He spent his last moments in prayer. If Jesus 
felt needy enough to go to his father in prayer, then how much more needy are we folks to go to God in prayer? Peter chose to sleep when Jesus told him to prayerfully prepare. And now he's panicked in the moment of slightest pressure. Jesus chose to spend time with his father prayerfully preparing, and now in the midst of pressure, he remains at peace. Christian, how often do you rush into your day without prayer? How often do you walk into tempting situations without preparing yourself with prayer? We are told that because of our high priest, we can boldly go to the throne of grace in our time of need. And let me tell you something, our time of need is every day that ends in why. It's every day. I need thee, oh I need thee every hour. I need thee, oh bless me now my Savior, I come to thee. I need thee every hour, stay thou nearby. Temptations loose their power when thou art nigh. Let us not be panicked people prone to fall, but let us be prayerfully prepared people that stand the test. Pray. Amen. Let us be people of prayer. Jesus was sacrificing self, but Peter was preserving self. We see Peter here, of course, denies the Lord three times. To the servant girl and then the kind of the whole crowd around the fire is questioning him. And then third, a servant of the high priest, a relative of Malthus who ought to know because he's the guy, Malchus is the guy that lost his ear. So a relative ought to know, hey, I think you're him. I think you're the guy that cut off my relative's ear. Whatever consequences he thought he might, that might come to him from declaring his allegiance to Christ, he didn't want to endure them. So he lied. Despite saying that he would die for Jesus, he lied through his teeth and said, I do not know that man. He cared more about his self-preservation that he cared about the fame and glory of his Lord. We see with Jesus, we see self-sacrifice. We see something very different. We see him never going out of his way to avoid what was coming. It's not as though he was excited about the suffering. He asked the Lord in the garden, if it's possible, let me avoid it. Take the cup from me. But what does he say when he realizes, hey, this is it? He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knows the plan. He knows that plan is for him to give up himself. For the glory of God and for the love of man. Jesus chose the will of his father in the garden. So in a sense, he already died. That's why he could just stand before these people that he's about to 
that he's standing before and that he's about to stand before and just not care. They, they were powerless against him because he died in the garden when he said, it's not my will, but yours be done. He knew, he knew how this was going to end. He feels no need to defend, much less lie about his allegiance to, his allegiance to the Father. Peter is first and foremost considering himself and it causes him to deny his Lord. Jesus is first and foremost concerned with the glory of his Father and his love for us and it causes him to speak the truth no matter the ramifications for self. Can you relate to Peter? Surely you can. That moment when when you know you should say something or you know you should refuse to do something, or you know that you, you would need to do something to declare your allegiance to God. And you choose a different path. Even in our American society, where there's no threat of death, no threat of jail, no extreme pressure to hide our faith oftentimes we find ourselves subtly doing it that should not be we should be concerned with the proclamation of christ above preserving self matthew 10 33 whoever denies me before me and i will also deny before my father who is in heaven But I want us to know, I want you to know this morning that that Jesus was more, he was more than Peter's example. He was Peter's savior. To Peter's credit, or perhaps better put, Christ's credit, this mistake is not the end of Peter. We'll look at this more in depth in a couple months. As we'll see in Peter's sequel at the end of John, he will be forgiven. As with all the disciples, Jesus' interactions with his risen Lord change him. Peter's interactions just after the resurrection of Christ, he's he's a different person. Just as all the disciples become different people. A confidence in, in, in the truth that they lacked throughout the entire mi- earthly ministry of Jesus. So is this the last time that Peter's going to be fickle? Is this the last time that Peter's going to get panicked? Is this the last time that Peter chooses himself over Christ? Surely he looks at his failings here and, and the great example of Christ and, and he gets it right for the rest of his life, right? Well, actually, no. No, he doesn't. In Galatians 2, 11-14, Paul tells us something about Peter that, that even deep into his successful leadership of the early church, Peter messes up so bad that Paul has to call him out publicly on it. And he, Paul does it, he says, because Peter was not being in step with the truth of the gospel. 
I want to just briefly, as we close, read this account of what happened. It says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was, out of, was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here's what's happening here, in, in, in case you don't quite understand. Peter is hanging out with Gentiles. And he's loving it. And he's got some other Jews with him. And they're like, the gospel is amazing. Like we can come together, Jews and Gentiles, and, and we can be friends. And, and, and I can kind of eat some stuff that I used to not be able to eat when I, uh, before the gospel came into play. This is great. This is an awesome party. I love the gospel and getting together and, and praising Jesus with my Gentile buddies. But then all of a sudden come walking by. Who comes walking by but Jews that still hold to the law, that don't believe the gospel. And Peter goes, Oop. these people, these Gentiles, I don't know who these Gentiles are. They are my people. You're my people. And Paul comes along and he sees that. And does this, does this not look strangely familiar to the Peter from our text today? Fickle. One moment he loves his Gentile brothers and sisters. The next moment he withdraws from them like they're strangers. In a moment he panics and makes a decision that, that betrays the gospel. In this moment, he was worried not about his Gentile brothers and the glory of God, but what the Judaizers might think of him or do to him. How can the one, how, how can it be possible for the one who preached the gospel at Pentecost and that thousands were, were saved under the gospel? How can that man? deep into his ministry, do something that was out of step with that very gospel. It's because Peter is a disciple. He's not a Savior. Had he grown, sure, but that scared, confused disciple that betrayed Christ was not put to death yet. He was still there. Which is why he not only needed Christ as his example, he needed him as his Savior. Just like us. Jesus was not just showing Peter how to be resolved and prepared and self-sacrificing. He was doing so so that his resolve would be credited to Peter as his resolve. So that his preparedness and prayerfulness would be credited to Peter as his preparedness, his resolve. His self-sacrifice, Christ was self-sacrificial, 
so that his self-sacrifice could be credited as Peter's self-sacrifice. God is our, or Christ is our example. Absolutely. Should we seek to model Christ? Absolutely we should. But we must realize that we are not justified because we are like Christ. We are justified because Christ was Christ. And His righteousness was credited to us. Like Peter, our lives are full of tests. They're full of temptation. Let us look to Christ that we might, like Christ, be resolved. That we might, like Christ, be prepared in prayer. And that we may, like Christ, be selfless. Let's fight with every ounce of our being to live like Christ. Let's, with the grace that's been given to us in Christ, be obedient to God. But let us realize that like Peter, we will all fall. And in that moment, He is more than our example that we failed to live up to. He is the Savior that lived it up lived up to God's standard for us. So that's what I want you to take away this morning, is that Christ is our example in temptation, but He's our redemption when we fail in our temptation. Christian, if you're here uh, this morning, maybe you just need to look at Maybe you've been failing. Maybe you've been failing in your resolve and failing in your prayer life and failing to be self-sacrificial to others. Look to Christ. Look to His example. But also in your failing, look to the cross. And that's why Christ died to empower you so that you could, under that forgiveness and that grace, seek to be more of what, who Christ was. If you're here this morning and, and you're still under the, the, the pressure of, of, hey, i got to live up to the standard, i got to be perfect. No, you can't be. Peter wasn't perfect. Even after, even after, he saw the resurrected Lord. He still wasn't perfect. He needed redemption. And redemption comes not by living. Justification does not come by living like Christ. It comes because Christ was Christ and lived for us. Put your faith in Him this morning. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Father God, we are weak. We, like Peter, are weak. 
God, help us to look to your son that showed us how to live, that showed us how to live for your honor and for your glory. God, thanks to be, be to you in Christ who justified us through his works. God, help us to strive under his example, but God, help us to rest under his justification. Move in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.